Hey, you guys, I'm going to interrupt our show just briefly to tell you about a new podcast I've discovered. With true crime podcasting, especially one with a focus on missing persons cases, I know we as hosts, and I'm sure you guys as listeners, are often finding yourself thinking, why? Well, it turns out we are the only ones thinking why about things all the time. There's actually a podcast called Why. The people hosting Why the Podcast are asking that same question all the time. So I want you guys to go check out their show today to get some of your most burning why questions answered. Thank you, and now we're going to get back to our show. Hi, everyone, and welcome to If I Go Missing. This week's case is a little odd. It's not our normal missing persons case. This case was a listener-requested case from our Instagram, where we asked you all to tell us what cases you wanted us to tackle. This case is a doozy. Four hikers, one religious cult, a fiery suicide, and a cultural phenomenon. What do all of these things have in common? I'm guessing our case is the common denominator. You bet it is. This is the case of the Phoenix Lights phenomenon. Our story starts on March 13, 1997. On this night, Hundreds of Arizonans called their local law enforcement and a popular UFO reporting hotline to report a series of strange lights moving over their cities and towns. The Phoenix Lights case remains one of the largest UFO sightings in history. At roughly 7 p.m., people in northwestern Arizona began reporting a large craft passing overhead. According to the National UFO Reporting Center, the first call they received came in at 8.16 p.m. from a retired police officer in Paulden, Arizona, a town about two hours north of Phoenix. He reported seeing a series of reddish lights arranged in a V formation. Over the next couple of days, calls continued to pour in regarding the sighting of multiple lights in the sky. Some arranged in the shape of a boomerang and others as odd moving lights with tails and fireballs. Yeah, fireballs, I said it. The Defense Support Program Satellites, which is a series of infrared sensing tactical satellites that detect the launch of missiles, space launches, and nuclear detonations, picked up an object over southeastern Nevada. It traveled in that direction until its signal became too weak and it was lost somewhere over Tucson, Arizona. The world did not notice the event until USA Today picked up the story in June of that year. Arizona's governor even held a press conference where he brought in his chief of staff dressed in an alien costume, telling the press that they were too serious about the UFO stuff. The military eventually took responsibility for the strange lights, explaining that the two events were a series of jets flying in close formation 
and some military flares. Okay, my thing about that, that you, you, it, it's almost like Christianity. Okay, if you don't believe, then that's your business, okay. But you need to take a chance, like the, the governors and stuff, they kind of made fun of it. You need to take a chance, just in case, it's really aliens. You don't, you don't know these things. I'm not saying they're out there. I'm not saying they're not. I'm saying people make fun of people for being Christians. Oh, you're being so ridiculous living that way. Okay, well, I'd rather live that way and die and find out I wasted my time than do like other people and die and find out, whoop, I'm in hell now. Same thing. I'd rather believe there are aliens and be a little cautious than to go, oh, those pretty legs in the sky. Look at that. Oh, there I went. Now I'm up there in the sky being tested on. I mean, you know. <laughs> you really need to pay these things attention just in case. And this is when our credibility rating goes way down. <laughs> Hopefully this is not the beginning of the end. Oh boy, tighten the tinfoil hats, guys. Strap on in because it's going to be a wild ride, no pun intended. It could have been a UFO, maybe. It could have been a hoax. It could have been the military. It could have been anything. One thing it did do was seriously drum up the interest in UFOs. Interest in this topic peaked for the first time since Roswell nearly 50 years ago. All in all, the great event lasted for 106 minutes. Some callers saw orbs, Others saw triangles in the sky that night. Lights of varying descriptions were seen by over 30,000 people between 1935 and 2230 p.m. Mountain Standard Time. See, that many people had to see something. Maybe it was a military exercise. Maybe it was something else. They definitely saw something. Exactly. I mean, you know, five or six people in the same neighborhood. Y'all all drinking together. You know, possibly. Yeah. But 30,000 people? They saw something. They on the good. Yeah. From the Nevada line to the north side of Tucson, the sighting spanned over 300 miles. There were two distinct events involved in the incident. A triangular formation of lights seen to pass over the state and a series of stationary lights seen in the Phoenix area. The United States Air Force identified the second group of lights as flares dropped by an A-10 aircraft on training exercises over the Barry Goldwater Range. Witnesses observed a huge triangular-shaped object containing lights, and the object was completely silent. Okay, that leads you to some alien or... A military experiment. Look at the um, stealth bomber. I mean, you can't even pick it up on radar. I mean, you know, you don't, you don't know, you don't know what the military doesn't tell you, and you don't know if they're really aliens. Well, do you remember that state governor from before who mm -hmm. made fun of the conspiracy? Mm -hmm. Well, the same Arizona state governor, Fife Symington was one witness to the sighting, and he actually gave a video 
interview where he admits that he actually saw what he saw and he describes the entire experience. There you go. And I actually have a clip of it. It was a long video. So I kind of took the important parts and this is what he has to say about it. This event called Lights Over Phoenix. What did you see? The voice you are about to hear is the voice of former Arizona Governor Fife Symington. Well, I saw a, uh, a huge craft just kind of come right over Squaw Peak um, that was, you know, it was just breathtaking. When the former governor was asked if what he saw in the sky that night was a UFO or not, in his opinion, he was very serious about saying that he thought it was a UFO. This is him again saying exactly what he saw and what he thought about it. I'm serious now that that it was a it was a unquestionably it was a UFO, which means unidentified flying object. Right. Doesn't nothing, mean we're being visited. Well, it's nothing like anything I've ever seen. And, and you're an Air Force guy. Yeah, yeah, and a pilot. Uh, got a lot of hours flying, so uh, it was pretty breathtaking. Now you will hear the voice of the man giving the interview to the former Arizona governor as he recalls his own instance with the Phoenix Light. Um, and it really hit me when, when we were watching the Diamondbacks in Game 7. And the B-1 flew over, mm -hmm. over the bomb. Yeah, it wasn't a B-1 bomber. But that thing all of a sudden out of nowhere appears. And, yeah. I, and, I, and I said to somebody that night, I said, well... You know, when they do test these, mm -hmm. they test them in populated areas. They're new stuff. They mm -hmm. test it to see if people detect it. Mm -hmm. Do you believe it was ours? Do you believe it was something from the U.S. government? One big story that came out of that night back in 1997 was what this guy just mentioned. Was this a military testing? And it kind of caught us all off guard and we think it's a UFO. You know, was it something just as simple as that? Now, I don't know if you caught it, but former Governor Symington already said no. But now he's going to explain himself again and actually say why he doesn't think it is government. They were no. kind of flying around. No, it wasn't even close to a B. It was much bigger than a B-1. A B-1 actually isn't that big. I mean, right. I mean, if it's, it's at low altitude, it'll appear a big, but... No, this, this was totally different. Something, though, that you think our own government may have been kind of running by a populated area to see what would happen? <laughs> well, they certainly, certainly achieved uh, their goal of stirring the pot, if that's what they were doing. But I don't think, I don't think so. I, don't, I think this was technologically far advanced. Henderson, Nevada. At 7.55, Mount Standard Time, a man reported a V-shaped object above Henderson, Nevada. He said it was about the size of a 747 and traversed northwest to the southeast. Paulden, Arizona. At 8.15 Mount Standard Time, a police officer from Paulden reported a cluster of red lights in the sky comprising four lights and a fifth tailing behind. Each individual light in the formation appeared to consist of two separate point sources of red light. Prescott, Arizona, 2017 Mountain Standard Time. 
Lights were seen in the areas of Prescott and Prescott Valley. Callers began reporting the object was solid because it blocked out much of the sky as it passed overhead. John Kaiser was standing outside with his wife and sons in Prescott Valley when they noticed a cluster of lights to the west-northwest of their position. The lights formed a triangular pattern, but all of them appeared to be red, except the light at the nose of the object, which was distinctly white. The object, or objects, which had been observed for approximately two to three minutes with binoculars, passed directly overhead, and then they were seen to, quote, bank to the right. So I'm guessing they took like a really sharp right turn. Hmm. And then they just disappeared into the night sky southeast of Prescott Valley. The altitude could not be determined. However, it was said to be fairly low and again made no sound whatsoever. Hmm. The NUFOC received the following report from the Prescott area. Quote, while doing astrophotography, I observed five white-yellow lights in a V formation moving slowly from the northwest across the sky to the northeast, then turn almost due south and continue until out of sight. The point of the V was in the direction of movement. The first three lights were in a fairly tight V while two of the lights were further back along the lines of the V's legs. During the northwest-northeast transit, one of the trailing lights moved up and joined the three and then dropped back to the trailing position. I estimated the three light V to cover about 0.5 degrees of sky and the whole group of five lights to cover about one degree of sky. End quote. Dewey, Arizona. At the town Dewey, 10 miles south of Prescott, six people saw a large cluster of lights while driving northbound on Highway 69. The five adults and a youth stopped their car to observe the lights which were directly overhead when they exited the car. The lights appeared to hover for several minutes. The caller, who was an experienced flyer, said that the object was so large that he could clench his fist, hold it at arm's length, and still not completely cover the light. He estimated the object to be not over a thousand feet above the ground and that it was moving at a considerably slower pace than an aircraft would fly. Calls to the UFO Center were also received from Chino Valley, Tempeg, and Glendale. Phoenix, Arizona, Tim Lay and his wife Bobby, his son Hal, and his grandson Damian Turnage first saw the lights when they were above Prescott Valley about 65 miles away from them. At first, they appeared to them as five separate and distinct lights in an arc shape like they were on top of a balloon, but they soon realized the lights appeared to be moving toward them. Over the next 10 or so minutes, they appeared to be coming closer, and the distance between the lights increased, and they took on the shape of an upside-down V. Eventually, when the lights appeared 
to be a couple of miles away, the witnesses could make out a shape that looked like a carpenter's square with five lights set into it, with one at the front and two at each side. Soon, the lights appeared to be coming right down the street where they lived about 100 to 150 feet above them. Traveling so slowly, it appeared to hover and be silent. The lights then seemed to pass over their heads and went through a V opening in the peaks of the mountain range towards Squall Peak Mountain and toward the direction of Phoenix Sky Harbor International Airport. Flights out of the airport were reportedly suspended for 30 minutes when the lights crossed into Sky Harbor airspace. There were multiple reports of F-15 jets leaving Luke Air Force Base to intercept the lights. When the triangular formation entered the Phoenix area, Mitch Stanley, who was like an amateur astronomer, observed the lights using his Dubsonian telescope, which he outfitted with a Teleview 32mm eyepiece that produces like a 43 times magnification of whatever he's looking at. After observing the lights, he told his mother, who was present at the time he was observing them, that the lights were in fact an aircraft. Phoenix Councilwoman and Vice Mayor Frances Emma Farwood received over 700 reports of mile-wide V or boomerang-shaped crafts and orbs in addition to the triangular formation. A separate phenomenon occurred in the Phoenix area. A series of lights appeared one by one and then they were extinguished one by one. Although the lights were silent, residents near Indian School Road reported sounds of thunder or distant explosions over the Australia mountains. Bill Griner, a commercial driver from Phoenix, stated the lights hovered over the area for an excess of two hours. Politicians, citizens, and even reputable actors have talked about what they saw that night. Actors? Yes, Kurt Russell has told of seeing mysterious lights above Phoenix, Arizona as he landed a plane that night. Russell revealed all of what he saw on the BBC when he was interviewed with his Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 2 co-star Chris Pratt. Ooh, Chris Pratt. <laughs> I mean, that's wicked. Something else happened that night, too? I guess so. Can you tell us a little more about what he said? Yeah, so Kurt Russell has maintained since 1997 that he was a witness to the lights and that he was flying a plane above them when they appeared bizarrely. He has told the press that he forgot all about seeing the lights until he came upon his wife, Goldie Hawn, watching a documentary on them years later. When the documentary mentioned a pilot, Russell thought, that was me. And upon checking his pilot's log, he confirmed that he had been there that night. That's wicked. Something else happened that night, too. And what was that? The following morning, four Phoenix men were reported missing after last being seen in the Australia Sierra region. Despite reports of animal attacks and serial killers, 
the Lauder case remains one of Arizona's longest unresolved missing persons cases. Before we go any further, I want to talk about something. There's been a lot of speculation that these men may not be anything more than fictional characters derived from a movie script to drum up publicity. And this movie actually even uses real footage from one of the missing men's tapes. The movie I want to talk about is Phoenix Forgotten. The true events of that night in March of 1997 do serve as the backbone for the movie. The movie is a horror film mixed with some science fiction, part found footage, and a part mockumentary, documentary, whatever you want to call it. And it is directed by Justin Barber and produced by Ridley Scott. The movie Phoenix Forgotten truly does seem to blur the lines between fact and fiction at the time as it does weave in the real life footage. I read a lot while researching and some people don't believe in the story of these men because of the movie. So while it was hard to find true facts about the men because of a lack of media coverage, it still happened and I found just enough. Although there are some who don't believe the men are missing or even existed for that matter, there are just as many out there who do believe it. One thing out of all of this confusion that everyone can agree on is that of a V-shaped object with seven lights. That seventh light was actually said to be the trailing light and was set apart from the other six. Witnesses generally agree on a few things when it comes to this phenomenon. The first is that whatever it was, it was huge. Most conservatively, it's been described as being three football fields long. Computer analysis from some of the tapes taken of the event have actually put the size closer to 6,000 feet, which is about a mile in length. The second thing they agree on is that whatever this flying object was, it made no sound at all. And the third thing witnessed to the events all agree on is that this thing flew very slowly. It was flying at about 30 miles per hour over Phoenix and sometimes it would just stop and hover over places. Numerous times during the phenomenon, pilots were radioing air traffic controllers asking them to identify the lights, but they never could. It seems like a pretty crazy night for the American Southwest. Yeah. Additional strangeness, like we said, on that same night, the four young men went missing in nearby Australia Mountain Regional Park, never to be seen again. It's still one of the longest unresolved missing persons cold cases. And something I found a little eerie, for every 100,000 people in the state of Arizona, 13 of them will go missing. So, 13 out of every 100,000. Okay. You know, I really don't want to believe in the little green men from Mars, but... That's too exact. I mean, to to be a serial killer, to be a kidnapping, yeah. to that's just too exact to be normal things we think of. And also, a lot of things I read around this time was saying that before the phenomenon, there was a lot of like cattle mutilation and just really weird things going on. Vampires? No, they weren't involved. <laughs> I mean, it just, it's, I don't know. It it's, has it's to odd. either be aliens, 
or something supernatural or I don't know. That's crazy for the exact, the numbers to be exact and this many people to see it and yeah, it's something. I don't know what it is, but it's something. Arizona, too, is just a state with a lot of missing persons. So 13 out of every 100,000 in Arizona is kind of, it's shocking, but it's also understandable because it's one of the highest states with the most missing persons. Not the highest, but, you know, it's pretty up there. Yeah. But this is the story of the four friends. So, while all of Arizona pretty much was mystified by these lights, meanwhile, over by the Australia mountain range, four friends, all males in their upper 20s, set out for a fun night. Glenn Lauder, Mitch Adams, Ryan Stone, and Jacob Reynolds were all in the Australia Mountain National Park to go off-roading. It is like they literally just vanished into thin air. Not a single piece of trace evidence has ever been conclusively linked to these men so i mean but have they found the whatever i say four-wheeler since this is off-roading have they found any of this stuff like oh they were here this is us last place we have trace of them being anything like that so they found something okay um and i'll i'll get to that later okay according to the lauder tapes Glenn was the daredevil. According to his friends who've spoken out about his character on certain YouTube videos, they could ask Glenn to do anything and he was like always down for it as long as he could run and grab his camera first. Like I saw this one video and his friend says, you know, he was the type of person where you could be like, hey, Glenn, jump off this building. And he'd be like, yeah, sure. Let me get my camera first. <laughs> okay, if I'm going to do it, I want to make sure it's recorded. Yeah, he was like, Pixar didn't happen before that phrase existed. <laughs> and he was also, as funny as that phrase goes, he was an amateur photographer. And all of his crazy daredevil stunts, he somehow managed to record. So, Glenn was like using the original GoPro before GoPro was even invented. So, oh, if he only knew. Yeah, that, yeah. <laughs> if he were around and he could get his hands on a GoPro... <laughs> Man. Ryan was another friend. He was the one who was said to go places. Ryan had a passion for music and everyone thought he was destined for the glamorous Hollywood stardom. They thought he was the one that might actually make it out of this town. But, on YouTube, the lauder tapes are broken up into like a series of tapes. And some of them are missing. So, I was unable to find anything very descriptive about the two other men, Mitch Adams and Jacob Reynolds. As a matter of fact, a lot of information about this was hard to find. So, from what I can gather, four men, all close friends, decided to go off-roading, maybe drinking one night in the Arizona desert, according to a statement by Mitch Adams' father, Daniel. He says the choice to go that night is one that he, as Mitch's father, wishes the men never would have made. The men were reported missing to the Maricopa County Sheriff's Office after disappearing in the Australia Mountain Range Regional Park off of I-10. The men were last seen off-roading at about 8 p.m. at the Phoenix 
International Raceway in the vicinity of Indian Springs Road and El Mirage Road in Avondale, Arizona. The 1997 disappearance of Mitch, Jacob, Glenn, and Ryan prompted hundreds of volunteers to help police search and spawned local media coverage, which resulted in an outpouring of sympathy across Arizona. So I'm not really sure why they're having so much trouble these days believing it. I guess maybe because the people that are seeing the movie mm-hmm. are younger, weren't like early around when the situation right. happened. So all they know is the movie. And if you try to Google it, it's really hard to find fact and fiction. Makes so sense. I'm, yeah, I'm guessing that's where some of the confusion is going to have to come in. This was pretty much the extent of the case, though, for 1997. You know, people moved on and most forgot. This is back before social media, smartphones, instant communication, and GPS tracking were even a thing. The true birth of the internet was not until 1983. At the time this case took place, the first commercial public use of the internet was through emails, and it happened in 1989. When these men went missing, the concept of emailing someone was not even a 10-year-long concept at this time. The internet was truly in its infancy stages, and without the internet connecting us all, no matter where we reside in this world, things lose their flame. And that's exactly what happened. Makes sense. It's sad. I mean, the men obviously existed. The men obviously aren't anywhere to be found now. Yeah, I mean, things do lose their flame when you can't constantly share it on Facebook or mm-hmm. Twitter or whatever like you can now. But in this case, something happened that brought the past racing back toward us. In May of 2001, a little over four years after the men just vanished, something happened and it reignited their case. May 16, 2001, Arizona Federal Wildlife Personnel kill a 300-pound black bear. What the bear do wrong in all this? This bear is actually suspected of attacking Glenn, Ryan, Mitch, and Jacob in the Phoenix area and then mauling a camper in the Santa Rita Mountains near Tucson. However, I don't really think the remains would be there four years later, but I'm not going to get into that. (laughs) You know me, as much as I love the mountain areas where the bears are and everything. Do you really think a single bear could take down four fully grown men all at the same time? I mean, yeah, of course he could take down one, maybe two. But they would have to get away. Some of them would have to get away. I can't see it being a bear. Yeah, no, I don't either. And neither did the Arizona Fishing Game Authorities. I mean, I don't think... It could completely kill four men at once. Maybe it could kill one or two. I I would think at least maybe one could get away wounded at least, Mm -hmm. but still alive enough to get help. I would think that the bear would get get the one and the other ones could get away. It would get like in grow. Okay, I've got this one. I'm like eating this one. Bears don't have that mentality Mm-hmm. So let me get let me get him down. I'll go catch another one. They don't have that mentality. I'll t- take those as snacks. They yeah. don't do that. You know, they he would probably stay with that first guy that he attacked that frightened him or or that attracted him in some way. And the other three would get away. I can't see it being a bear. 
Yeah, well, again, neither did Arizona Fish and yeah. Game Authorities. They eventually came to the conclusion that this is highly unlikely that an animal of this size is capable of attacking four grown men. Officials did continue to monitor the area and advise people living near wildlife areas to keep their pets inside at night. Duh. Yeah, be a snack. So, while this new breath of hope may have turned into a dead end, it did do something positive. It brought the case back to light and people started to get interested again. That's good. Unfortunately, the case would go cold again until 2011. In late January of 2011, Pima County authorities began investigating bones that were found in the desert. The discovery of the human remains were found near the Asarco Mine northwest of Tucson. The Sheriff's Department said the remains include a skull, a pelvis, and some smaller bones. The remains were located in a wash area that's not currently being used by the mine. The Pima County Medical Examiner attempted to determine the cause of death. The area where the bones were found, though, is often used by illegal immigrants. While it was thought that the bones found in 2011 were more likely going to be those of an illegal immigrant, hope was not completely lost. By 2012, more bones would be found, and they were a lot closer to home. Okay, maybe we're on to something. On July 7, 2012, partial human remains were discovered by a local construction worker one morning. The area the discovery was made was around the same interstate the men were last seen around, the I-10. The finding was said to be north of Interstate 10. The bone fragments were stripped clean of any identifying marks, and county medical examiners have been unable to extract DNA samples from the remains. Over the past 15 years, as many as 257 missing persons cases have been reported to the Maricopa County Missing Persons Bureau. However, Pima County Border Patrol authorities believe the actual number is significantly higher. According to Pima County Border Control, it is not uncommon at all for them to find between one to two skeletal fragments each month. Border Patrol says that skeletal remains they find normally don't contain IDs, nor do they have any leads to go on as to what happened to the person or who they may have been in life. This has led investigators to believe the number may be as much as 100 to 200 persons per year. Based on these estimates, county officials unofficially warn that there may be as many as 2,000 missing bodies between Phoenix and the Arizona-Mexico border. That's terrible. A lot of it's your illegal immigrant. And I, and I do understand that part. But I mean, it's still wow. terrible, but... Yeah, I mean, yeah. It's, it's people you can't identify because they aren't from here. They don't live here, blah, blah, blah. But, they don't contain wow. IDs, but yeah, wow. Yeah. The pattern in which these bodies are found seem to lead authorities to believe they're coming from the South. So, from October of 1999 through the present, over 2,000 deaths were recorded at the Arizona-Mexico border. And, you know, I mean, it's desert area. Yeah. So, it's not unsurprising. Water stations were actually placed out there by the nonprofit Humane Borders. And they're intended to mitigate the deaths. So, maybe the men were lost and couldn't find enough water to sustain them. 
This area is notorious, though, for its crime. A Border Patrol sergeant has said that a lot of people go missing in Arizona, and he isn't wrong. I've said it several times on this show. And I mean on this specific episode. Not to mention previous episodes. True. Very true. Like, take, for example, the case of Alyssa Turney. She was a Phoenix teenager who went missing after her last day of junior year. 19 years later, she's still missing. Her sister Sarah is still looking for her to this day. So sad. So sad. It's very sad. And she chronicles her search for her sister in painstaking detail in her own show, Voices for Justice. So that's just one person missing from Arizona that I can name Mm -hmm. that is just an example of how many people are missing in this state. The Border Patrol Sergeant also said that the frequency and condition of the remains suggests that something larger is happening. And what does he mean, something larger? I mean, I know the area. The border is known for use by the cartel to traffic drugs and stuff. Is that what he's referring to? Yeah, so that is only actually a piece of the puzzle, but you aren't wrong. Border Patrol agents have said that many missing persons cases are never reported due to the high number of cartel homicides, drug trafficking, and human trafficking over the border. Along with a high transient population, teen runaways, and cross-country travelers, animal attacks have not been ruled out either. However, the conditions of these particular bone fragments from 2012 suggest a more intelligent predator. Okay. Intelligent predator? What the heck is that supposed to mean? Honestly, I don't know. The Border Patrol never went into more detail. Overall, theories do vary about how the men could have vanished in the desert. The way these men went missing... They just went poof. As of now, not enough evidence has been found to positively confirm any of the theories presented. Nor has it been able to tie any of the bones to the missing men. But then, just when it seems as if the buzz about the case in connection to the bones being found was just about to simmer down, all hell breaks loose. I'm not just saying this as a cursing manner. I'm saying all hell broke loose because that is exactly what happened with Heaven's Gate and its connection to the missing men. At the time this took place, the Phoenix Lights, the missing men, and Heaven's Gate, I was barely a year and a half old. So I'm hoping my mom can kind of lend a hand with this part of the story. Mom, can you tell us a little more about Heaven's Gate? Uh, yeah, um, it's a long story. <laughs> but from what I remember, hearing on the news, you know, different stuff like that, Heaven's Gate was actually a cult. To be exact, Heaven's Gate was an American UFO religious group based near San Diego, California. It was founded in 1974 and led by Marshall Applewhite and Bonnie Nethels. On March 27th, on March 26, 1997, members of the San Diego County Sheriff's Department discovered the bodies of 39 members of the group in a house in San Diego suburb of Rancho Santa Fe. They had participated in a mass suicide, 
a coordinated series of ritual suicides in order to reach what they believed was an extraterrestrial spacecraft following Comet Haley Bop. But how does that connect with the men other than the UFO stuff? I mean, were they members? No, not at all. But it's been speculated by some of the men's family members that they may have seen something that night. Something they weren't supposed to see. The family member who stated this in the Lauder Taste, which you can find on YouTube, said that he thinks the men stumbled upon some type of cult action that they weren't supposed to know about, let alone witness. Another parent, the father of Mitch Adams, Daniel, another parent, the father of Mitch Adams, Daniel Adams, believed the men got lost out in the desert that night. No matter how you look at it, these two statements from the parents it's painfully clear, whatever it was, whether they got lost in the disorienting desert and succumbed to the elements, or, or if they really did witness something they were not supposed to. Whatever you believe, one thing's for sure. Something went terribly, tragically wrong that night, and whatever happened took place in the deserts of the Australia mountain foothills. The most horrible, cruel thing I could say. That would be a perfect place to get rid of somebody that that did witness something like the cult stuff. You still don't play with them people. Daniel Adams has said that someone knows something about what happened to his son on that night in the desert, and he's absolutely right. Something happened in 2013 that would send shockwaves through this case. 911 emergency. Hello, 911 emergency. Yes, I need to report a fire across the street. It's I think someone is trapped inside. Okay, I'm notifying fire and paramedic dispatch. Oh my God, I can hear someone screaming. Uh, okay, ma'am, ma'am, what is your address? Please, you have to hurry. The whole building is pouring out smoke. I, I will, but I need you to confirm your address. I'm at, I'm at Oh my God. The 911 call you just heard was the same call placed on May 21st, 2013 to alert first responders about a fire. What they found was so much more than anyone could have ever expected. When a response was made to that May 21st, 2013 911 call, responders found a shocking scene before them. When they arrived at the scene, they saw escaped fugitive Walton S. Gason, the 52-year-old veteran apparently had set fire to himself in a home apartment near Rancho Santa Fe less than 22 months after escaping federal custody. San Diego County officials suspect Gason had been a member of the former Heaven's Gate cult, the ones that took their own lives that you told us about. The place that he took his life was less than four miles from the mansion and seen of the Heaven's Gate mass suicide. There's a connection there. Gason was actually detained and held in federal custody for 15 years for the disappearance of Glenn Lauder and his three friends the night of the Phoenix Lights. But he had claimed that he had nothing to do with the disappearance, but that the four men were actually abducted by aliens. While in custody, he was held without trial for the 1997 Lauder case investigation. Although, he did escape 
It's unclear how he escaped federal custody or why he chose the anniversary of the tragic events to take his own life. After doing more digging about the official suspicion of Gason being a member of Heaven's Gate, I found out for sure that Gason was a member, but he ended up being exiled from the group after a fallout with the group's leader, Marshall Applewhite. You know, I don't think people like that are people that you want to um, upset too much. They believe in mass suicides. They don't mind killing you. Yeah. Hmm. And for Gason to say, oh yeah, it was aliens that killed those guys. Okay. Did you know these aliens? I believe you may have. You may have been one of those aliens. Yeah, it, it makes him look very, very suspicious. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, are you using aliens to exactly. cover up your crime? Yeah. Do those aliens look anything like you? Mm-hmm. Could you describe them to me? Yeah. If you look in a mirror, will you see one of them? <laughs> you know what I mean? You know. Hmm. When police responded to that 911 call and got the fires put out, they conducted a search of the apartment. The search revealed Gason's possession of videotapes shot by Glenn Lauder himself, containing over 54 minutes of first-hand accounts from March 13, 1997. As if this man having these tapes is not weird enough, Rancho Santa Fe Sheriff's authorities believe additional recorded footage of the missing men was recovered at the Gason residence. However, a court order from the United States Air Force Office of Special Investigations assumed jurisdiction over the case and have denied local authorities any access to the recovered evidence. Air Force officials have denied any allegations of withholding evidence, though. Oh, duh. They're not going to go, hey, we've got evidence here, but y'all can't have it. Well, yeah. But, but it, it does beg the yeah. question. What in the world does the United States Air Force want with a missing persons investigation? Yeah, that's a little suspicious there. And since the United States Air Force took position of the evidence found that night, they have not released a public media statement regarding the video recordings discovered at the scene. I have, like, so many questions, though. Yeah. Like, definitely. how did Gason come in contact with the four men that night? Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. You know, if... If it was just a missing persons case, why does the United States Air Force have the evidence and jurisdiction in the case instead of, like, the FBI? Makes perfect sense. Why doesn't the Air Force want to talk about the case? Did those men really stumble upon something they weren't supposed to see that night? Or did they just fall to the elements? Was it not so much a cult as something else? Something military. Something secret military. Was it, you know... But why kill him? <laughs> and if that the was the case, would do that. I mean, that's what you're saying. Yeah. I mean, the U.S. Air Force is the U.S. government. So, why pick Gason to frame with the murders? Was he just like out, you know, for a good walk in the desert that night? Well, the man just escaped custody. <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, he kind of was easy. He was but easy. But they didn't target. have the tapes. They couldn't have planted them there. They got them from him. Yeah. Hmm. Did I? I have so many questions. Yeah. There are quite a few questions that 
are getting really raised red flags all over the place. But you know what? Perhaps the most intriguing yet disturbing question in all of this. How did one man manage not only to subdue, but also kill four fully grown men? Gason was way outnumbered. Some reports do say the men had been drinking, but still even slightly intoxicated. The odds of a four to one fight ending in favor of the one doesn't seem plausible. So, was there more than one attacker? If there was, where are they now? Who are they? I could literally question this case all day. Maybe Gason was the only one they caught. Maybe Gason was the only one that had a little bit of humanity or something in him and he felt guilty. Mm -hmm. Maybe it was part of the cult and those cult people don't talk. Yeah. But I don't know how that would involve the Air Force. Or how it would tie into the same night that all these lights were in the sky. Yeah. Yeah. Unless that was where the Air Force got involved. That's the only way I can think the Air Force would be involved because mm-hmm. if it wasn't something that flies, it would be an FBI missing persons case. This is true. And I mean, honestly, would it even go to that level? Because not all missing person cases goes to the FBI. Exactly. Yeah. I don't know. There's a there are there's a book of questions left. Definitely. And I mean we could sit here and speculate forever, but eventually you guys are gonna, you know, hit stop and go listen to something else rather than us ramble. <laughs> so as much as I hate to, I've gotta leave it here, you guys. If any of you listeners out there though have a theory or anything I want to hear it. So hit me up on Instagram at if I go missing podcast and DM me your theories or comment them on the photos for this case that'll be on our feed. Thank you for listening to another episode of If I Go Missing. I'm your host, Megan, and I put a lot of thought and hard work into these episodes. I write, edit, and produce them all myself. And it means a lot to me that you guys take the time to listen. If you would like to follow us on social media, our Instagram is at if I go missing podcast. Then we also have our Twitter and that one is at Megan Noel pod. If you want to reach out and suggest a case, you can do that on Instagram or Twitter by sending us a DM. We also have a Facebook page called Megan Noel podcast. And we also have discussion groups for the podcast. And the name of the discussion group is If I Go Missing, a podcast.